Turn in your Bible to the third book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read just a few verses together, beginning in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together, say together, with all the saints, say all. all. We'll come back to that. To grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now that's called a pregnant passage of scripture. Because that's one that will continue to give birth. As you begin to pull it apart. Rooted, established in love. Power. You've got to be empowered to know God. Together with all the saints. This is never intended to be a solo endeavor. To grasp his love in all kinds of dimensions. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Right there. Know something that surpasses knowledge. How does that work? It means that there is a knowing that has to extend beyond your cognitive powers. There's got to be a knowing on the inside that only God can perform by his spirit. Knowledge beyond knowledge. And that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know what kind of container that takes, but it's a pretty big one. Let me just tell you. Powerful passage of scripture. Now, unless you're somehow sensory deprived, you've probably figured out that we are making an emphasis for small groups in the month of August. It's hard for you to walk through your lob- the lobby and not figure that out. Pastor DeHaan's preaching on Wednesday nights. Pastor Brett preached a message last week. And so we are emphasizing that what happens on Sunday morning is not the sum total of your experience, hopefully, to be a part of this church, this body. We've looked at how being connected, there are benefits of being in proximity and being in relationship and being in koinonia, if you wish. That's all good. But I want to examine it from a different perspective this morning. Let me make this statement first. We have established three E's here at Grace Covenant Church, sort of what we believe is our mission, how we do life here. A, to encounter Christ. B, experience community. And lastly, to extend the kingdom. Now, interestingly enough, a few years ago, the first, of those two, the, the first two of those three E's actually came from small group. That time I was, when my wife and I lived in Ashburn, we led a small group. We've led multiple small groups and been in part of small groups ever since we've been in this church. And someone asked one time, well, what is the real essence? And when you get it right down to it, what are these groups all about? I said two things, to encounter Christ and experience community together. Hence, we sort of adopted and adapted that as sort of a moniker for our entire church now. But let me say this, that you cannot experience community without first encountering Christ. Let me tell you why. It's because we're all jerks. 
Smile when you say that. There is no way that you can live together in community without first encountering Christ. Now, please notice that, you know, you, you, you get married and it's just like, oh, I just can't wait to be married to him or married to her. He's all that. She's all that. And you finally get together and you realize he snores, her feet stank, her mother's crazy, and all his people are unemployed and alcoholics. I didn't know that. And you begin to look at all these kind of anomalies and these kind of quirks begin to come up. And it's just like Jesus wept. What have I? What has God tricked me into under the guise of covenant? And you can do, you can read all the books and go to the biannual marriage conference and do love and respect and get home and still have to lock up the knife drawer. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Gun control takes on a whole new definition in your household. And you realize that for a man and a woman to live in covenant relationship, it takes the third strand in the cord, it takes something gravitational and divine to keep two folk living together in the same place in covenant relationship. 35 years of marriage to the same woman. Well, teach one those things. (laughs) For that reason, my wife is the finest Christian on the planet. No, it's not Pastor Brett. It's her. Because she's been yoked to me for 35 years and she's not committed a violent act. (laughs) At least not one of which I'm aware. (laughs) Psalm 133, great passage of scripture, great one to memorize because it's only three verses. But you know this one well. How good and pleasant it is where brothers live together in unity. It doesn't say meet together, it says live together. And we come here on Sundays and we look around and we've got all different flavor of folk in here and we get to wave the flag that we're reconciled people. You just met together for 60 minutes. (laughs) Meeting together and living together, they're two different things. Are you with me? I mean, you can work with those idiots all week long, but they ain't coming in my house on the weekend. You understand what I'm saying? When brothers live together in unity. It's like oil running down on Aaron's beard. Who was Aaron? The high priest. What is the oil? It represents anointing. When we're together, there's an anointing that happens. That you don't get alone. And then it says, for there, verse 3, the Lord bestows his blessing. Even life forevermore. Unity, anointing, blessing. What? All as benefit of being together but that's not my point conversely you cannot really encounter christ outside of community 
Now, we've got to encounter Christ to be in community, but I want to flip that around for a moment and submit to you today that you cannot fully encounter Christ outside of the proximity of community together with all the saints. And perhaps this is even a primary purpose for our relationship is that we can better see and understand God within the limitations of our humanity. You see, as long as you are in this realm, that you're breathing this air and your heart is beating, your brain stem is telling both to function, we have a limitation of how we can encounter a holy, divine God. Now, I know there are all kinds of folk out there and, you know, God appeared to them and Jesus this and they had these encounters with an angel and they're blogging about it and writing about it. So read the Bible. First of all, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this. We see but a poor reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. What is the then when you no longer hear? It's when you're in glory with him. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, in the Old Testament, if you saw God, it was the last thing that you saw. It was pretty much an understanding. Real simple. Want to die? See God. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You die, you see God. Exodus, I mean, Judges 13, 21. Manoah, Samson's parents. Angel of the Lord appears. He says, oh my God, we're doomed to die. We've seen God. Manoah's wife said, you old fool. You'd already be dead if he wanted you dead. Even, even Moses. Now this is Mo, I mean, the friend of God. Breath to breath, intimate as a friend. Exodus 33, show me your glory. This is bold stuff right here. Show me your glory. And this is how God answered Moses. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. But you can't see my face for no one may see me and live. Now this is Moses. Moses got a pass a lot. Had a relationship with God that's unique almost throughout scripture. And yet he said, I, I, I can't let you see my glory. Can't let you see my face because then, then I have to kill you. But I will let you see my goodness. You see, God's visibility to you and I is most often through other means. I'll let you see my goodness. And in so seeing that goodness, you'll get an aspect. You'll see it, an aspect of who I am. A God reflection, if you wish. Romans, the first chapter, verses 19 and 20. says, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which has been made so that men are without excuse. Meaning that even though you haven't seen God, what can be known about God can be known. His character, his attributes, his nature through that which he has created. And yet the primary means 
that God reflects himself is through you and through me. It's both the mechanism and the mirror to the divine. Original intent, Genesis 1.27. What does it say? God created man in his own image. This was the full intent. Not that he made little gods. No, no, no. But he made man in his own image so that the picture here was that when the creation sees man, they're seeing an aspect of what? Of God. Now, we, not, we, we realized something happened to that thing, did it not? It's called sin. The mirror got cracked. And we don't just get seven years of bad luck. We've had multiple generations of the sin nature having carried down to you and I. And yet, something happened. Grace came and healed the crack, did it not? Stay with me. But you see, our response and responsibility to that grace is not just to, to live better so that we can in turn have a better life. There's truth in that. Sowing and reaping, blessing and cursing. Yes, absolutely true. But could I submit to you that our greatest responsibility is to more accurately see and reflect him. That's what this thing is all about. Hmm. We live in a day where everybody loves acronyms. And it seems like the more inside you are, the more acronyms you have. Now, those of you who are remotely connected with the military or the federal government, you cannot speak without acronyms. It's why I could ask you in the lobby what you do, and you would tell me, and I still would not know. Because I would need the gift of interpretation to understand what that means. But there's an acronym that's in our culture right now called SBNR. S-B-N-R, spiritual but not religious. It's how many of the millennial, quote-unquote millennial generation, describes themselves. We're deep. We're so deep that God hasn't heard of most of this, but we're deep. We're spiritual, but we're not religious. We don't need all of this stuff. We don't need all this meeting together foolishness. I can, I can access God all on my own. SBNR, could I submit to you? It's really selfish but not religious. We live in a, a moment of the selfie. Seriously, the tutorials on how to take a great selfie. Ever seen people... And selfie is just a, it's a cute word. It's a euphemism for just being narcissistic. I know everyone's interested in how good I look. I know everybody wants to know in detail what my mid-morning snack was. Selfie. Selfie eating snack. Can I help you for a moment? You're not that interesting. Folk don't really care. Let me just tell you. Now, as a pastor, I stalk many of you on the internet to, to find out what you're doing. But honest to goodness, our lives just aren't that interesting. In order to document it on an every five-minute basis, 
I just don't, I don't need religion. Even the definition is wrong of how it's used to see and perceive God. I can do that again as a selfie. And as a matter of fact, I really like creating my own God in my own space because then I can make him to be anything I want him to be rather than how the Bible defines him and how I see him defined and reflected off other people's lives. Stay tuned. It's not a new problem. It has nothing to do with technology. Hebrews 10, 25, Paul writing a long time ago says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's something endemic in human nature that just says, this is too much trouble. I don't want all these fools in my house. My hardwood floor, they don't take their shoes off. I go in houses in Northern Virginia. It's kind of like being in India. Take your shoes off. Oh, hey. It's called polyurethane. It's okay. Seriously. And we think that somehow we, we just don't need this experience. We've outgrown it. Technology has rendered it useless. But your experience of God is severely limited without his reflection off of other believers. Listen to me. Finally going to get to my sermon title. I might add, that was officially the world's longest introduction right there. The good news is, it's a three-minute sermon. A diamond. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't fully understand the whole diamond thing, ladies. And if men are honest, they don't understand it either. Because for us, a piece of glass, a CZ, a diamondoid, call now 1995 and if you call in the next five minutes get two for 1995 we we don't really get it we don't understand they all look alike to us seriously and you know how you know how the ladies are oh you engage you know what i'm talking about it's not what's his name what does he do where are you going to And the size of that thing is directly proportional to your friend. That marriage ain't going to make it. <laughs> cheap diamond. You cheap brother. Ain't going to make it. <laughs> and so everybody's out there, you know, just. But you look at diamonds. And the, and the process of getting them so that they. The first process is once their mind are cleaved. That's where. That the weakest point in that diamond, something hard like a piece of metal just, just hits it and it divides it. He says exactly what happened when Christ came and he came to you not only at your weakest point, but he cleaved you at your weakest point. And he came and he, he brought some pressure on your life and separated you from the other stuff. But see, that wasn't the only cutting that went on. Then the real fun begins. It's called sanctification. And that's when he begins to carve the different sides in your life, the facets, if you wish, which reflect the light properly. And God begins to pound and pound and pound. He says, when is it going to stop when you did? <laughs> and then there's the polishing. And diamonds are so hard, the only thing that will polish a diamond is another diamond. So guess what? He throws us together to polish one another 
and then keeping it clean. Now, my wife doesn't work at getting her diamond dirty. I mean, she's not like dragging it through the mud, but, you know, every year she has to kind of go in and, you know, have it clean so that it does what it's designed to do. It reflects well. But there's another really important part of this whole diamond thing. It's the setting. My wife is wearing a ring from my grandmother. And the cut of the diamond is called a mine cut. And it's a type of diamond that doesn't sit up high. It's very flat. So it doesn't have a lot of reflection about it. And they won't reset it because they're afraid if they do, they'll damage it. So as a result, it's a very nice stone, but it doesn't have all of the, all of the reflective qualities that perhaps it could if it were properly set. Do you realize there's a lot of Christians running around, they're loose diamonds in a bag, refusing to be set. Psalm 68, 6 is very clear. God sets the lonely in families. And not just for the benefit of being in family, but when you're properly set, then the way that God has cleaved and cut and polished on your life, it allows God to reflect off of your life in a maximum way so that people are seeing something of him in you. Uh-oh. You see, this is how most folk get to see God. Yesterday I was with some dear friends of mine and we, I was sharing a need with these people. And I began to hear comfort, compassion, mercy, grace, words of wisdom, words of counsel. And all of a sudden in this particular setting, I was getting heaven. I was getting God himself speaking through all these relationships. I was seeing an aspect of God I would never have seen if I had stayed at home by myself. Ooh. You know, it's a lot of trouble to get up and come here on Sunday morning. It really is. I mean, you, we, we would all, I mean, stay home and make Mickey Mouse pancakes. I mean. But you see, unless we come together, we're missing an aspect of how God wants to reveal himself. Not only through us, but to us. And the only way that works is to get into close proximity with one another. Spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 says that he gave gifts to men. But most of the time when you see a spiritual gift, a charis of God, most of the time that gift is doing what? It's coming through someone else. Laying on of hands, healing, prophecy, whatever it might be. He goes on a little further in Ephesians 4 and says that God has given to the church what we call the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. Why is that? Is that the ministry of Jesus was so inclusive that the only way he could continue that ministry was to take it into four, into five facets, into five ministry offices so that the ministry of Jesus could be rightly reflected through men. Wow. Wow. But it's hard. And when we see these gifts, whether they're the spiritual gifts or whether they're the gifts that God has given us in people, let me just tell you, it changes how you treat that gift. 
Oh, you're just nice to your wife because you wanted to make you cookies. Okay. Maybe. If you know my wife, you know that she doesn't make cookies. Not if they have sugar in them. We won't go there. I don't have time. Pray for me. But when I look at 35 years and I look at other than direct revelation, I know more about God through my wife than any other conduit. Period. Because I see something reflected off of her. And so when you see that, it's just like, Ooh, I'm not just going to be nice so, nice so I can get cookies. But the way that I treat her is a reflection of my worship to God. Wow. I mean, let me just tell you, that, that ramps it up to a whole exponential level. We sang a song this morning. May the life I lead... Declare. You know, many times we sing these words and we get so caught up in the musical aspect of it and we just, oh, that's a nice song. Tiffany sing it so well. But sometimes we don't really listen to what we're saying. May the life I lead declare. Isn't that the truth? Do you realize that most people are never going to see God unless they see him reflected off of your life. Period. That's how they're going to see him. But the question becomes for us, what or who are you reflecting? Is it your powerful personality? Is it your stuff? That that's the reflection people are seeing. Are you close enough to the folks around you to be reflected upon and to reflect upon them. That we're actually with some folk and we're saying, I never saw that aspect of God before. But I see it now in your life. Be it mercy, grace, provision, love, forgiveness. I just, I, I, I didn't understand that about God until now. Thank you. Are your facets cut, polished, and clean? Are you set in? Are you really set in? So that the maximum amount of light is getting to every aspect of your life. And as a result, do you know him better? You know, the sum total when we walk out of this room, whether it's here or Wednesday or your small group meeting, is not that you can just be better equipped to have a better life. But you know what the end game is? That you would know him better. That's what this is about. It's not just about 10 nifty techniques so that you can get more kingdom money flowing through your pockets. It's to know him better. And you see, when that happens, this other stuff becomes so far down on the list, it doesn't matter anymore. But the way that we do this is together, come on, together with all the saints.
Amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, that you have uniquely called us together, not just for mission, not just to win a city or to touch campuses or nations, but that, God, that each one of us would be a facet of reflecting who you are. We see something about you we never saw before because of being in proximity with that brother or that sister.